I just told you what I'd do. The question now is, what will the Congress do? President Biden unveils a list of gun safety measures, but will Republicans go along? I have to tell you this, Anderson, when I first saw them, uh, my bemusement turned into horror pretty quickly. Text messages lay bare the horror of last year's attack on the Capitol. And the economy, four-fifths of Americans say they're doing fine, thank you very much, and yet the president's approval flirts with new lows. I'm Paul Brandish. You're listening to West Wing Reports from Washington. It's Friday, June 3rd. The Buffalo and Uvalde mass shootings, those were the big ones you've heard about, but there have been others, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Michigan, and California, in recent days alone, for example. As it always does, the carnage and all the media attention that mass killings get has galvanized both supporters of tougher gun safety laws and gun rights advocates who are again digging in to resist anything that they see as an encroachment upon their Second Amendment rights. President Biden this week said what he calls common sense gun safety measures can save lives. You've heard these ideas before. Here's what the families in Buffalo and Uvalde in Texas told us we must do. We need to ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks, enact safe storage law and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability. Address the mental health crisis, deepening the trauma of gun violence and as a consequence of that violence. And yet gun violence as an issue seems to wax and wane in the perception of Americans. A January survey by Pew Research, for example, asked Americans to name what they thought was the most pressing concern for 2022. Guns did not even make the top 18. The economy, health care, the pandemic, education and social security were the top five, by the way. The recent massacres in Uvalde and Buffalo may have changed this, but in general, the data suggests that Americans have bigger worries. Speaking of the economy, four-fifths of Americans say their personal situation is good, but the general economy has them worried. That's why President Biden's approval rating is touching all-time lows. One thing that is no worry is the job market. It remains hot. 390,000 new jobs added in May. The unemployment rate a rock bottom, 3.6%. Job growth over the past year and a half has been historic. Nearly 9 million jobs added to the economy. Some context That's more than were created, get this, between 2012 and 2019 combined. And yet employers still can't find people. There are 11.4 
million openings nationwide as of the end of April. That's according to the Labor Department. Offsetting the good jobs news, though, is inflation. It remains high, 8.3 percent. President Biden says it's probably not going to come down anytime soon. He blames the pandemic and Russia's war on Ukraine, both of which have hurt supply chains and caused shortages. Republicans, though, blame heavy government spending, saying it has put too much money into the economy. Other economic news, mortgage rates continue to rise, but so far not much of an impact on housing prices. They're up more than 20% over the year ended in March. That's according to the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index. The cost of a 30-year fixed mortgage now about 5.3%. Last fall, you could have gotten 2.8%. Hillary Clinton has beaten Donald Trump, sort of. Her lawyer during the 2016 campaign, a guy named Michael Sussman, has been acquitted of lying to the FBI. A Justice Department special counsel, John Durham, had spent three long and taxpayer-costly years looking for wrongdoing in the original probe into whether Trump or his campaign colluded with the Russians. Sussman was accused of lying about passing a tip to the FBI after his acquittal. The Clinton lawyer said, holy cow, that was nerve-wracking. Speaking of Donald Trump, the investigation into the January 6th attack on the Capitol rolls on. We know that within minutes of the 2021 attack, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows began getting tons of text messages from lawmakers, former Trump officials, Fox News people, even Trump's oldest son, Don Jr., they all said the same frantic thing. President Trump needed to immediately denounce the violence and tell the mob to go home. As you recall, he took several hours to do so. Former Republican Congressman Denver Riggleman, who has been working with the January 6th committee, has pieced together from the messages to Meadows a very disturbing story. He spoke to CNN. actually see the Meadows text messages when we were able to link the numbers and the names together after we got the thousands of text messages. So to look at it, it's almost a roadmap uh, to what happened. And a lot of the texts haven't come out. Thankfully, I think the committee is going to do a great job of linking those text messages to the other interviews and data that they have. But I think what people are going to understand about the Meadows text messages is how horrible they are. I have to tell you this, Anderson, when I first saw them, uh, my bemusement turned into horror pretty quickly when I saw some of the language that was being used. The January 6th committee will hold public hearings shortly. It's expected to be a blockbuster event. Keep in mind, this is not a partisan event, or at least should not be. It's about an attack on our capital, the worst in more than two centuries. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. 
Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Turning overseas now, after the U.S. left a nuclear agreement with Iran, that country began to speed up its enrichment of weapons-grade uranium. The U.N.'s nuclear watchdog now says Iran has enough material to make its first atomic bomb. American weapons continue to pour into Ukraine, and here's something new. The U.S. has conducted offensive cyber operations in support of Ukraine to that disclosure this week. This, as the war rolls on, it's now in its fourth month. How much longer could the war go on? Perhaps for years, some analysts now say. Richard Haas is president of the Council on Foreign Relations. He spoke to the New York Times. Let me cut to the chase and be the downer here, perhaps. I don't see it ending. For wars to end, traditionally one of two things have to happen. Uh, either you have to have a battlefield situation that essentially decides things, and one side imposes its will on the other, and I don't see that happening. I'm not sure either side is in a position here to impose its will on the uh, other, or you have to have a negotiated settlement. And no one sees that in the cards, a negotiated settlement, because Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukrainian leader, refuses to grant any territory to the Russians. He's going to hang tough. Meantime, Vladimir Putin hasn't achieved his aims yet, perhaps never will. That's the big picture as most people see it. Here's more from Richard Haas. If I were a, a betting man, I would think that this goes on for, for some time militarily. I don't see a formal end through negotiation, the battleship Missouri image at the end of World War II. I simply don't see that. I could see the war somewhat uh, winding down, not having major changes in territorial control. But I don't see any Ukrainian government signing a, a peace agreement that would allow Russia to control parts of Ukrainian territory, whether those territories were gained in 2014 or gained uh, this year. And I don't see Mr. Putin signing any agreement that would acknowledge the, the existence of a sovereign, independent Ukraine with the full set of choices that sovereign countries enjoy. In fact, the long drawn out conflict may be at this point Putin's best hope. That's because as the war continues pushing up food and energy prices in Europe and here in America, political support could fade. Now let's hear about another Evergreen podcast, one I know you'll enjoy. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few 
of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Time now to open up the West Wing Report's archives and see what made history this week in the past. 1800, John Adams, the first president to live in the new nation's capital, Washington, D.C., of course. The White House was still under construction, so the president took a room at a tavern, sounds pretty good, and he took his meals in the dining room with other residents. 1942, 80 years ago, the turning point of the Pacific War, the Battle of Midway, when the U.S. got revenge for Pearl Harbor by sinking four Japanese aircraft carriers in one day. It's regarded as one of the greatest and most decisive naval battles in history. And 1944. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans... Last night, when I spoke with you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment that troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. It has come to pass with success. President Roosevelt announcing D-Day, the Allied invasion of Hitler's Fortress Europe, the greatest amphibious operation in military history, with the Soviets advancing from the east and the Americans, British, and others from the west, the war in Europe would end 10 months later. One more history. Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event? I do that too. Current events, economics, analysis, history. I connect the dots and would love to hear from you. I'd like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful. This week it's from President Biden, who spoke at Arlington National Cemetery on Memorial Day. Our freedom and the freedom of innumerable others has been secured by young men and women who answered the call of history and gave everything in the service of an idea, the idea of America. It's the greatest idea in the long history of humankind, an idea that we're all created equal in the image of Almighty God, that we're all entitled to dignity, as my father would say, and respect, decency and honor, love of neighbor. They're not empty words. But the vital beating heart of our nation. And that democracy must be defended at all costs, for democracy makes all this possible. Democracy. Our heritage and our future united by these common bonds. That's all for this week. Here's my email again, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to C-SPAN, the 
New York Times and the National Archives for the audio clips. Producer, sound designer, and engineer Noah Fouts. Executive producers Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis in Washington. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.